0: these these, these club land legends were there and i remember pete burns came in once and he was just so rude to me but i kind of loved it, <laughs> it was like, he was so rude because his, his partner michael was like chatting to me, having a chat and everything and pete just walked over to me so i like, looked me up and down it was like where's the toilet i was like you know where the toilet is pete i just thought i'm gonna clap back at pete burns you know tick done thanks for that he was just really rude um but fabulous what an icon
1: Hello, I am Kay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, a podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories they created there, and the people that they used to know. Holestar is an entertainer, DJ, and bio-queen. And, she's gonna hate me for saying this, but after knocking around for nigh on 17 years, is a true veteran of the London drag scene. We caught up to reminisce about Too Too Much, which was a theatre bar and club in Soho, London, opened between 2004 and 2006, before changing its name to Soho Review Bar. It was also where Holstar's very first gig in London was.
0: So I left home at 16 with absolutely nothing. I discovered sex, drugs, and rock and roll quite early on. Had lots and lots of fun.
1: So, before you left home, after you left home?
0: After I left home. Okay. No, sorry, oh, no. Wow, I, did my, no I, left, I, I did my GCSEs. No, I did my GCSEs and then I left home at 16, not long after my GCSEs. But I had literally nothing um, because I was too busy partying and having fun. Um, once I'd left home, that became a lot more. Um, I wanted to be a performer, but I didn't have enough GCSEs at the time to do this course that I wanted to do. So I took a lot of drugs, a lot of partying, blah, blah, blah. Then I woke up one day on a massive come down and thought, I need a job. I need direction. I need some sort of focus in my life. And I went from one extreme to the other and I joined the army (gasps) because I was, yeah, I was, (laughs) I've done it. Khaki the lot. Um, so yeah, I was, completely like i went there i went there on a come down when i'd signed up and i'd done the whole thing i was on a come down when i when it eventually happened and it was almost it was happening it was real i got absolutely trashed the night before and my friends were like you won't last five minutes you're too gobby or too opinionated you like to party too much and i was like no i'll give it a go and i did and i got through it and it was one of the hardest things i've ever done physically and mentally because you go in as a you know unique snowflake and they break you all down you go in as an, as an individual with your own freedom of thought and expression and ideas, and they want you to be all the same level because that's how an army works best when you're all working on the same level. And so it happened to me after a year, the back of my head started going, Whoa, this is not you. This is what? And I used to go down to the Naffy bar with Feather Boas and be ridiculous in camp, and everyone was like, What are you, nutter? Um, But eventually I was medically discharged, which was good because at the time it was like, uh, uh, I couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't deal with this horrible. It's horrible. It's a very toxic environment. Mm. It's very heteronormative. It's very aggressive. It's very male centric. It's just, you know, as a woman, you're constantly questioned uh, why you're there. And the men would thought it was appropriate to be like, oh, so you do do you masturbate in front of everyone? I'd be like, yeah. because I was like, well, don't try and shame me. Once you've made me a victim in that way, you've got something to play with. And I'm going to turn that around and say, yeah, don't you? And they were like, oh, oh, they had nothing to say. Mm. And my surname being Hole, H-O-L-E, I was Private Hole. So I got a lot of (laughs) shit for that as
1: well. I'm allowed to laugh at that, aren't I?
0: (laughs) It's fine. No, as as a kid, I've heard everything. I've heard all the bullying. i heard all the names, all the jokes. So the time I became Private Hole... I was not that bothered. Um, and my father was also, Mr. A.
1: Oh, hole Yeah. Oh, oh, I, okay. I've just cut you off. You were going to tell me your father.
0: No, my grandfather, His his he was Mr. A-Hole. So, you know, <laughs> and it's it's funny how I then, you know, years later, as much as I hated the name Hole, I turned it on myself and now I've used it as part of my name. So I left the army. Um, I had a friend who was doing a course in photography and I thought, oh, that seems like a lol, something to do. <laughs> And I went along, and I blagged my way onto this course. I knew nothing about anything. And one of the tutors said, "Look, I don't think you're a photographer in the conventional sense. You, you're very um, something about you that's a bit different." No shit. Um, he said to me, "You know, he said, go to the, go to the library, go look at people like Robert Maplethorpe and Cindy Sherman, and artists that use photography." And my mind exploded. Like I was never into art as a kid at all, and I just went, "Oh my god, this is this is my people!" And I became a sponge for art and art and photography and performance art and video art and all these new you know ideas and so i did that i did my degree in blackpool (laughs) Oh wow! (laughs) which was um at the time it was one of the best courses in the country and me out of pure stubbornness my tutors uh were like you'll never get in you'll never get in it's such a hard course to get into it's one of the best you know courses in europe blah blah So I went on pure arrogance. I was like, I'm going to get this. And I got it. I went in and I smashed it. And I said something from the beginning, I want to be an artist. I don't want to be a commercial photographer. And it was a great course, really is a good course. And some of the people that I graduated with, great, great, great photographers. But I was doing weird things like, you know, well, I should read a little bit. At the same time, I became a professional dominatrix while I was at university. So I was into the whole BDSM thing. And then I thought, I'm good at this, I'm going to make some money out of it. Because it's it's one to one theatre, it's almost like performance itself. But is there a big market for that in Blackpool? oddly enough yes there is a <laughs> world there is someone who wants to get their ass pegged or beaten up or whatever so I was doing a lot of images at the time that were kind of like dealing with SM and and trans people and submission of males and it wasn't a negative thing about you know feminism and an anti-male stance it was just what I was into at the time and my tutors couldn't get their head around that I was being trying to be provocative and it's like no I'm not this is just the shit that I get up to and this is what goes on in my head sorry mm. about it. i finished my degree went traveling for a bit and um in central europe and i went end up in vienna and literally the first night i was there i was talking to this girl and she was like you're a dominatrix you're an artist why don't you move to vienna and i was like yeah (laughs) no money no job no apartment nothing i just thought fuck it let's just go and be decadent and fabulous and live in vienna and it was gorgeous beautiful beautiful city um Took me to a while, a while to realise that actually it's quite a negative city. I love Austria, I love Austrians, but Vienna has this very clicky elitist class system. Um, it's very racist, incredibly racist. Um, there were times I don't even want to repeat them, they were just absolutely vulgar things that i witnessed myself and been a part to with black friends, and it was just like, whoa, this is this is vile. Um, But I started doing drag there because my artwork was kind of moving towards, okay, let's, we've done the S&M, the sexuality thing. Let's look more about gender. And it was almost looking at my own gender and not feeling, you know, non-binary wasn't a term then. But I knew that there was something about me that wasn't completely female, whatever that is supposed to mean. Mm. So, you know, I was, I have polycystic ovary syndrome my my ovaries never work properly I've got high testosterone in my blood I'm very assertive very aggressive so it kind of makes sense that I was kind of like okay I feel this and I'm physically this and looking at those Areas between the gender binaries, these grey areas, because at the time trans people were very, very invisible, mm-hmm. and even on the queer scene, uh, it was very much gay men and lesbian women, and that's it. Mm. You know, there's a lot of biphobia still, um, confusion about people. It was, yeah, you know, people, those people who were in the grey areas were kind of not being represented. And when I popped back to England during those four years, I'd see a lot of really ropey drag queens <laughs> being vile about women. And I was thinking, hang on, you came from a woman, you know, you, you, your mother is a woman, your siblings perhaps, or whatever. Mm. How can you? And you're putting on a frock, you're, you're taking on all the visual things of what it is to be a fabulous, camp, fierce, fantastic woman, yet you're being vile about them. I never quite understood that. And it was, it, this comes with a lot of. Inbuilt misogyny or inbuilt hatred, I don't know, but I just thought it's it's an easy laugh to go, where are the lesbians in the room? Oh, smelling of fish, blah, blah, blah. A lot of that. And I started thinking, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. So at the time, there weren't any visible women being super, super camp. You know, the 90s did a great many things for feminism, um, but that, that came with a lot of androgyny. And it kind of killed off fabulousness and campness and you you still had Cher and Dolly Parton and people like that rocking around being fabulous, but they were big stars with lots of money on a day-to-day level. There wasn't so much camper. The fashion industry was very kind of neutral and androgynous. So I thought, hang on, let's reclaim those, you know, symbols of OTT femininity and reclaim them to the female body. Um, And initially it was going to be just a one-off art project. It was going to be me lip syncing to Shirley Bassey in a black room with the spotlight. That was the initial idea. That never happened. So um, as I was a dominatrix, I was asked to host this um, costume competition at the Vienna life ball, which is this huge AIDS benefit that went on for years and years and years. Liza Minnelli was there. Bill Clinton was there. You know, Versace was there. It was a big thing. And I was asked to kind of host, not host, but kind of corral people who I thought were good into the costume competition, who had great outfits as a dominatrix. So at the end of the party, there was a big after party in the Garden Club. And I remember pinching a bike from somewhere and I was riding around the dance floor on a bike and just ringing the bell and being annoying. And this DJ, uh, Henry, was like, who's this crazy bitch? And we got chatting and he just liked the fact that I was English and weird and Whatever. So he invited me to come and MC for him. And I was like, what, Emma? And he kind of would DJ and I just got in the microphone and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to beat you up. And shit, it, it was, I didn't know what I was doing. So this was the same time that I was having these kind of, you know, ideas about gender and these gray spaces in between and drag. And I thought, OK, I've got an audience. I'm doing this. I'm getting paid in vodka. It's fun. Let's dress up and just see what happens. And people went for it. And then afterwards, cause I was just drinking and doing my usual thing. And he phoned me up the next day. He's like, you can sing. And I was like, what? He's going, we're listening back to the tape from last night. You can sing, you were singing over the top of the tunes. I was like, was I? Okay. Cause I didn't know that I could sing. I just thought I was just going blah, 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 whatever. So it kind of took off. Then all of a sudden it became a job. It wasn't just like, oh, you're doing this for art or for fun. It was like people wanted to book me because I was English and a bit weird. And um, <laughs> fine. was
1: that on your business card?
0: <laughs> yeah, it should have been. <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, still being a dominatrix and then doing these drag things. And I did well. I was in Central Europe. I traveled around a lot. I toured a lot with like big name DJs, blah, blah, blah. But I hated it. I hated the scene because it was very... Cocktails and blowjobs, kind of champagne and c- cocaine. You know, l- l- way it was the club that I played in. They were beautiful, and they were nice, and the people were beautiful and not so nice. It's almost like they would sit there looking really, really bored mm. until the camera people would turn up, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, we're having the best night ever." I mean, this was fifteen years ago, and people are still doing it now. But you know, it was very much a, "Oh, amazing! I'm so happy!" And I did one gig. Um, But I never performed at the venue again because I had enough of these people and the owner of the club was very cool and he gave me a spliff beforehand and I went on stage, stoned out of my mind and I stood there and I did my first song and then I I was like, right, all these people at the front who were dancing, having a good time, I'm going to perform for you because you're here to have a good time, you're letting go, good for you. You people all sat on there your expensive tables, you could all fuck off and get over yourselves and I was just... Yeah, an absolute cow. And I've got booked there again. What a shocker. Um, was that the this,
1: sanitized version? I feel like maybe there were more swear words in the, the original. Sanitized version. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was getting a little bit frustrated with not Vienna, but just the scene that I was in. I was making good mm-hmm. money, I was traveling around. It just became so like, this is not who I am. I trained to be an artist. And I want to be creative. And this isn't creative for me. This is just. Uh, on, a, on a treadmill, entertaining people that I don't particularly like, and they don't particularly like me. So let's do something else. So I moved to London, and that was actually 15 years ago. This no December, yeah. So coming up, yeah, December 15. Oh my God, where's that time don't gone? Don't think about it. Don't think about it. long, no, long time. Ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, I came to London, didn't know anybody of course I mean I knew a few people from my space that was, that's how long ago it was um, I, I there's people that I was aware of and there was people that I always kind of admired as I used to come to the you know the gay scene kind of the late 90s early noughties I was never part of the scene I just dipped in and out as a visitor as a, as a you know a tourist And now all of a sudden I was living here and I didn't know anybody and I contacted loads of clubs and promoters and I was like, hi, I do this and they're like, never heard of you. Who are you? Piss off. So I was like, how do I, how do I get on this treadmill? How do I, you know, get onto this scene as it were? And someone said, suggested that I go to Tranny Shack. I know we can't say Tranny Shack anymore. um, But that's, we're talking about that, that time 15 years ago when it existed. So Dustio um, and Tasty Tim and Lady Lloyd, uh Glendora, the Ritzy Crackers, um Vanilla Lush, uh, rest in rest in peace, my love. Um yeah, they all had this club night called Tranny Shack at Too Too Much, which used to be the Ray- Raymond Review Bar. And then it became Too Too Much. And it was it was a great venue. You had like this, you walked up the stairs you went in as you kind of went in the main door there was a stage a really good stage it was, re- it was it was good width it was good depth really good depth um the <laughs> <a> dressing room <laughs> yeah most stages are tiny in london <laughs> but you know as a, as you know it's nice nice little dressing room at the back again decent size and the seating was like, with a dance floor and the seating kind of went staggered up. So it was very tiered, kind of yeah. tiered, yeah. gorgeous, kind of, you know, vaudevillean style, kind of cabaret. It was perfect for that. And the bar was at the back. And it was a gorgeous venue. And Dusty wasn't, you know, a lot of places that I was contacting, they once they'd realized I was a woman, they were like, no, 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 no. Women can't do drag. And I was like, okay, fine. Move on. And Dusty was like, oh, come on, have a go. And I did, and it worked, and people seemed to like it. And I started working there, and it was it was a you know it was a great venue. It was, really was. You get a mix of people. I mean, at the beginning when I was there, it was very queer. It was very like Wednesday nights in Soho. You had Nag 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 at the Ghetto, and then you had Tranny Shack. and You get a kind of mixture of people would come across over from those venues and come to see the show, then go to Nag or wherever else um and soho then was just pop in. you had trash palace you had ghetto you had you know um too too much you had the you know, alternative spaces it wasn't just the mainstream gay go go bopping yeah, yeah. you know my eyebrows kind of venues um <laughs> it was just
1: fun. what's this it's thing just... about eyebrows do you hear... <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're the windows of the face apparently. are you
1: are you judging people like are you making those snap judgments when you see I people's eyebrows makeup
0: very do you know what so what do you am-
1: make of my monobrow then
0: i i can't even clock it oh, from okay. this
1: camera but this is
0: look do what what yeah, if you have <laughs> your faces but there are some people their eyebrows are part of their identity and it's like really really just yeah okay good for you babes you you do you babes you too <laughs> but yeah the, the, there was a time you had that very kind of you know members club very tan, very uh, cliche. If people want to play to cliches, that's what they're there for. Fine. Be a stereotype, darling. Do you? But you had this kind of very, ooh, look at me kind of gay scene. And then this kind of queer nonsense, crazy anarchy, which Mm. I love. And I appreciate beauty and I appreciate things to look gorgeous and people to look, you know, fabulous. But I love art. I love creativity. I love the other and that's what I was kind of drawn to at the time.
1: And that um, that silliness, that sense of mm. silliness that was really around then. Mm. Um, can we talk then about that first performance? Do you remember mm. what it was?
0: Um, I think it was probably, I, what I used to do was mashups, or we used to call them bootlegs back in the day, but it was mashups. So I used to do, you know, take one song and then sing the other one over the top. And I think it was, do you know what, I know what it was. It was a mashup of De Lacey, Hideaway, as the vocal, and How Soon Is Now by The Smiths. um, Which ended up being on the Tranny Shack album, funny enough. Um, And yeah, people just seem to like the fact that, yes, I was mixing up the genders and I was also mixing up the music and the performance, you know, initially I just thought, okay, I'm going to just do the singing thing. Um, That's what I did there. And eventually I kind of moved on from that venue and I found everyone in the East London scene where, you know, I wasn't the only woman. It was, you know, everyone, all of us, nutbags with, you know, it was was very much more anarchy. Let's just have fun and silliness and roll around the floor and glitter and not give a crap but put on a show Mm. and make a bit of money. Great. I mean, now it's very obviously post drag race. Everyone's not everyone. A lot of kids come into this as career drag Queens. They come into it as this is, I've done my performance degree or whatever, and I'm going to be a drag queen. I'm going to get on that TV show and I'm going to be a star. Cool. Great. Good for you. But we did it initially as like, this is fun. And yes, we're earning a bit of money. And then it turned into a career. It just happened that's the way it was because we were having so much fun and being creative and being silly that the main focus wasn't what was, let's have a career. Let's make this a big thing. Um, it was just naturally mm. organic. Mm. I think there's a lot of pressure on kids now because that show has made it very, um, especially the aesthetic.
1: Well, Yeah, because it's now it suddenly is something that you can aspire to because there are people who make money from it. But like Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, there would be like one person or like Dame Edna and RuPaul. Mm -hmm. They make money from drag. No one else does. So if you're going to do it, you better fucking love it. Yeah. Um, I have a few more drag questions and some mm-hmm. of them, some of them are probably going to be questions that you are asked a lot. So apologies. Yes. Hopefully some of them are a bit more interesting. Um, I wanted to go back to talking about the misogyny and drag and how prevalent that was um, mm-hmm. up until maybe a decade or so ago. Um, and why do you think it's changed?
0: I think to say it's changed in a decade or so is actually, in my experience, it hasn't changed. There's still still a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of times where I've had gigs booked and they've, okay, let's scrap that. Let's go. When I had an agent and I had an agent for a while and they booked me for a series of gigs at a venue in London. Great. Turned up, did my job. As far as I know, everyone was happy. The bar staff were happy. Punters were happy. It was great. And then I got a phone call saying, oh, they don't want you for the future dates. I was like, OK, fair enough. But can you tell me what I've done wrong? Can I get some constructive feedback? What was it? And he had nothing to say. And eventually I said, it's because I'm a woman, isn't it? And he had to say yes. Basically, they misjudge their audience to think that all they want is a man in a dress. And it still happens today and it still happens now. What has changed is queer politics and queer rhetoric has become more prevalent. And there are now, you know, female drag queens, um, biological, whatever, bio, bio, bio queen, Female drag queen, sister, or whatever. There's so many different categories. But I was
1: going to ask what your preferred term is, but it seems like <laughs> maybe you're a bit exhausted by them.
0: <laughs> a little bit. Do you know what I say? I say I'm a tit in a wig. <laughs> That's it. My gender, what's in my pants is neither here nor there. And that for me is the essential idea about drag is it's not about a gender binary swap, male to female, female to male. If you want to do that, Groovy essentially drag is the performance like you know again because of this whole drag race aesthetic you're expected to look a certain way i would rather see a raggedy old mess in a potato sack throw themselves around on stage and give what an kind incredible- of
1: potatoes
0: any potatoes all potatoes are good i'm not po- potato specific okay <laughs> but i'd rather see energy and love and passion on stage because essentially drag is about the performance the aesthetic is important now more than ever so people have to look a certain way but you look at someone for 10 seconds and then that's gone the look is kind of like okay we've seen the look now great now what can you give us Mm. and so what anyone's gender is on stage shouldn't bloody matter just bring it and now we've got a lot more you know female body people cis people whatever doing drag great brilliant i mean i'm considered was it was it the independent they did an article about um, female drag queens. And I was called the uh, whole star, is this, the, the, vet, the veteran of female drag queens. Is, and this, I was like, is
1: this false modesty? Like, oh, which which newspaper was it? I can't remember. Could have been any of them. could have been any of them.
0: It, of them. I it was one of the Sunday supplementary data. But they were like yeah whole the veteran of female drag queens and i was like oh my god i'm old i just kind of <laughs> like, oh shit i've been doing this for quite a long time because in my head i'm still a child and i'm still experimenting and playing and i haven't really grown up in the conventional sense so to be called a veteran it's kind of like i guess it's flattering
1: so um, you weren't like i'm gonna update my instagram bio immediately <laughs> The
0: veteran as far as i know i'm probably the longest serving drag tit in a wig whatever um as long as much as i know um which is great which is nice and some some of the some of the younger girls have been really you know respectful of that they've kind of been interviewed and they've, they've they've mentioned that it was me that encouraged them to like victoria sin i really encouraged her they sorry to you know do drag Um, because their artwork was very innovative and knocking around Vogue fabrics at the time. And they were very much like, I want to try drag. And I was like, go for it. There's nothing stopping you. There is never anything stopping you. You will always come up against people who oppose it because they'll say, no, you can't do, no, drag is for men only. And especially when you've got people like Rue fucking poor themselves,
1: Mm.
0: you know, saying these anti-trans comments about, you you know, you can't do the Olympics with, with enhancement drugs or whatever. It's like, what? And then, oh, there's no danger in a woman doing drag. It's like, what? What? Okay, I get it. She's from a different generation where it was just men in drag. And it's like, well, I've been punched in the face for looking like a drag queen. I've been abused. I've been attacked because people think that I am a man in a dress. They've they've seen the big wig and the lashes. And I am far more camp, but I'm in drag, obviously. They just reduce you down to that kind of, oh, that's what you are. I'm going to react and it's like well look at my jawline look at my hands look at my tits for god's sake um so to say there's only danger in men doing drag is complete bullshit because i've had that danger as well i've actually had physical danger thrust upon me and misogyny and being ignored there are times where I thought, hang on, why am I not getting these gigs? And it's probably because I've had, like, you know, my mental health has been in a mess and I've been a moany bitch and I've been around people and been like, moan, 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 and people have gone, we don't want to work with her. And I completely take responsibility for that. But I work when I work hard at something, I do my very best. And I'm not the best at all. I'm in no competition with anyone else but myself. But there are times when I know that I've been looked over for gigs because of my gender and that is still happening today unfortunately
1: Mm. yeah and it's this it's this really it's this kind of really gross space isn't it when people can deny deny things even though it is blatantly driven by one thing and one thing alone um And so it just makes, yeah, this, it just becomes a bit of a psychological mess for you if you're trying Mm -hmm. to justify it or trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, You just tie yourself up in knots.
0: Um, I've tried to stop being angry about it. I think mm -hmm. that's what I had to let go of because I felt like, and I am very much a lone wolf. I'm not part of any, you know, I've, I've worked with lots of groups of people and I have friends in different, you know, packs of drag packs or whatever. But I'm very much a, my, my own person. And you kind of have to take on all that on board yourself. And it's like you feel like you're being attacked from every angle. And you've got to get to the point where you go, fuck it. You know, I've been angry. I've been banging this drum for 17 bastard years. And that someone else's time to do that. And there were younger kids who were coming through who are very politically motivated and very angry and good for them. Because I did it for a long time and no one was listening. And now those kids are doing it and people are listening, which is great. It's like uh, as a as a veteran, I can <laughs> sit back and go, Cool, it's your turn, it's your turn to do it. Because there is still a lot of work to be done.
1: But Just, it's still it's still it's still tough to watch yeah. that, isn't it? To be like, What the fuck I was fucking doing? That the fuck I was doing that. <laughs> Anyway, I'll be angry for you. Um, <laughs> but um So have you ever considered like starting... I mean, I don't know if it is so much of a thing in the UK, and I always like end up asking really dumb drag related questions on on this show. So apologies. Um, Did you ever consider joining a house or starting your own house? No. Purely out of respect for what houses actually
0: mean. Purely because, you know, watching Paris is Burning when I'm first getting into drag and getting on the scene, I have a very deep respect for that culture and especially what you saw in Paris is burning with New York and it happened a lot around um, the US. These are people who were kicked out of their homes. These were people who had no lives. Their, their, their families rejected them for their gender, for their sexuality, for whatever. And the house mothers would home these children, would feed these children, would encourage them to do things and be better people. That's a true house mother i feel like now probably get into trouble with this but i don't really care you've got a lot of people who who are privileged themselves who just go i'm a drag house mother blah 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 and start barking orders around and you know that they're in their 20s and they haven't got a clue they haven't lived they haven't worked (laughs) i'm gonna be a bitch now but
1: (laughs) oh come on take the gloves off (laughs)
0: they come with this kind of like, okay, I've performed for one year or two years or three, whatever. And all of a sudden they, 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 they think they deserve this reverence mm. and it's, it's like respect isn't, you can't demand respect it. It's earned. And the house mothers, original house mothers, they deserved every bit of respect they got because they worked at it. They, they helped these children, not just were part of a, you know, a group of people or so-called house. Um, and it's great their houses existed. I, I love the fact that, you know, especially the voguing houses, um, black and Latino people are still doing that. I'm still a massive fan of voguing, proper voguing, not death plopping. As, you know, <sighs> there's so many of these children. Honestly, I think, hang on, honey, your, your, your knees are going to be knackered by the time you're 30 because you're not landing properly. You haven't learned how to death drop. Or dip, as it's properly called. All you're doing is going lipstick, 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 and throwing yourself on the floor, and you look like a mess. And <laughs> you're gonna fuck your back up, babe.
1: Um, so well, I mean, see, so you know, from what you've just said, and you know, being the veteran, uh, <laughs> a, a female drug, why, why is it not time for you to start your own house? You can tell them, like, think about your knees. <laughs> Think about.
0: Do you know what I I I've said to and I have been a drag aunt because I've got no instincts whatsoever at all. So I'm happy to be a drag aunt and go do this, do that. Now piss off because I can't be asked changing your nappy. Do it yourself. Um, Unfortunately, this is this is the downside of it. There are a few people that I've taken on board and tried to encourage and help and give them my wisdom and talk to them you know talk about them to other people and other promoters and other people say this person's really good and i try to lift them up and they've all stabbed me in the back so i'm like i've been hurt too many times i've been Mm. burnt too many times and maybe it's generational thing i don't know it's just used to just taking and not actually giving anything back in return just basic decency Mm. and backstabbing and being just i can't be bothered
1: i mean is some of it driven by this shift in the the level that you can aspire to in drag now and mm. and that people are viewing it as a profession more yeah. as like a oh we're all in this together yeah. we're all having fun so it's a bit more kind of dog eat dog and a bit more very much the
0: very yeah they're very competitive now the kids i mean when i <clears throat> first came to london i love the fact that you had all these different scenes so i I think the first night I arrived in London, I went to Cashpoint. I love Cashpoint and it was freaky and it was weird and the music was all over the place and I loved that. And then you could go to, you know, Soho and see a traditional drag queen doing a traditional drag queen-esque show. And then in East London you had all the us weirdos there. You know, all these different people, not necessarily working together, but just kind of like, okay, you exist there and we exist there and we're just doing our thing. And now, you know, everyone is a drag queen. There are no club kids anymore. Everyone is a drag queen, and it's so competitive because obviously, you know, that TV show has made things huge, and good luck to anyone who does it. But those kids at the bottom who are kind of, you know, not on the TV or not part of a clan or a house get left aside, and it's just become very, just very, again, there are people that I love on this scene and I appreciate them and I think they're wonderful. But as a as a group, I think, as an outsider looking in, you look at drag queens, you're like, okay, what are they like as a group? We were very encouraging of each other back in the day, especially East London. When someone got a really good gig, it was like, well done, girl, well done, fantastic, good for you. Now, it's so backbitey and there's so much backstabbing going on, and that's why... I, I prefer to stay a lone wolf and just flip between group and group because I don't want to get involved in that drama. My mental health can't deal with it. And I need to self persevere sometimes because it's like, I want to be involved more, but at what cost to myself? And so I'd rather just be removed f- from it and just dip in and go, cool. Yeah. I'd like to see what people are doing. You're cool. You're great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But it's just, the ne- it's the negativity about it. Like you said, it's because of the whole, it's now a job. It's now a business. It's not just titting about, rolling around like a twat. It's now a career move for a lot of people, so I get that they're more competitive. I mean, it's, it's still it's still
1: rolling around like a tit. It's just making sure yeah. there's a good filter on it later when you post. <laughs> yeah. It. Um. But so so without like turning this into some kind of therapy session, is this like because when you give something, you give your all. And, yeah, and so when you're like, if you're part of a group, you are like synced into that group.
0: Very much yeah. so. I, I don't like to do anything by halves. I think it's like going on stage. I try and treat every performance like I'm at the Palladium, even if it's the, you know, in a basement on a bloody stack of beer cans or whatever. I, I think and it's always
1: in the basement. It's always in the <laughs> dirty basement somewhere.
0: I like, you know, I always think the majority of the audiences that you get, whatever scene you're a part of, The majority of people work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. They want entertainment. They want escapism. When they finish their their usual conventional roles, they want to go out and they want to escape. And that's my job is to give them some escapism. You know, I'm a facilitator of fun. I want them to enjoy themselves. So I will give my all, no matter who I'm performing to. I'll be like, okay, all in, or there's no point. And it really frustrates me when I see a lot of, you know, queens who just – dial it in i dial in a performance and i just be like la, la 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 mark mark do what they have to do and not give a shit or be so into themselves it's like baby it's not about you right now it's about entertaining people I always say that's the, that's the ultimate role of a drag queen is to perform and to entertain the people so it's the same thing with yeah with these kind of groups I try and give as much as I can and it just has to be that you know again it's probably part of my nature and I just think over the years, I've had to step back more and more and more just because it's become more
1: hmm,
0: toxic, I don't know, maybe mm, is the word, mm. um, just to look after myself. I can't, I can't give it all and have it been taken away again. Um, I'd rather just sit on my arse on my own and smoke a spliff and watch an 80s trash horror film, which is my favourite thing to do right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can we talk about the – you've made the assertion a few times that drag is about performance – do you think that's changing? Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. A lot of it now is the aesthetic, especially with social media has a huge role to play in that. Um, I mean, some of these children, when they, put, when they put a picture on Instagram, I'm like, baby, how much of that is that? Is that you? How much is that you or how much is that technology? And, you know, good luck to them. It's just the way, the way things happen now and, and, you know, everything changes for better or for worse. The performance now for a lot of people, it is very secondary. And again, it's because of that bloody TV show where it's very much <laughs> about aesthetics.
1: Is that what we're calling it now, that TV show? That bloody TV <laughs> show.
0: The thing is, I, the, the differences between British drag and American drag is American drag is very um pageant-y and it has a great tradition of pageantry. So the look is very, very much an important aspect of it. British drag has always conventionally been about the entertainment about the, yeah, the actual yeah. show and giving people a lull or a laugh or singing along or feel you know it's like emotional thing rather than just aesthetics so that tv show has come over here great And now you've got kids who are spending a fortune on their looks. There are children during lockdown spending £300 on a lace front wig. And it's like, you're not earning right now. How can you afford this? You know, maybe mummy and daddy are paying for you. Good for you, babe. Wonderful. But there are kids now who... They focus so heavily on the aesthetic because of the TV show. Their makeup has to be flawless. Their wig has to be this. Their outfit has to be, you know, bespoke, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what about the show? When you have put yourself together and you've got all those likes, and you've got that like little dopamine hit on Instagram for all the likes. Good for you. Great. However, take it to the people. You've got to take that into the people and show them your fucking soul, not your asshole. You do that as well. If you
1: want to show your soul on stage, what if they're the same thing. Great.
0: That's a sort of project I can get behind. I'm completely up for that. We'll
1: get behind and see what, see what you
0: did there. <laughs> well, actually, I wanted to do something about that because um, I've got some really sick ideas because I'm a dominatrix still and um, I used to run a couple of sex parties um, that were very I had one called Pan People. The idea was was completely pansexual. I hate the idea of men only spaces, female only spaces, blah blah. I wanted it all to be kind of groovy people, and it was, and it was lovely, and it was full of very mixed bag of people. And I did it on a Sunday for a while, and the idea was, you know, have a roast, then come have a spit roast. <laughs> and, um, and i moved it to hackney and there was one event that i did and i looked over and there it was just it was like, it was a beautiful tableau there was a man there was a woman there was a trans woman there was a non binary person there was all these like seven or eight people all connected together and it was just glorious. And they were all doing stuff and everyone was happy and it was very positive. And like a, a United of
1: was, Colors of Benetton commercial. Absolutely.
0: It was like a Benetton advert of sex and debauchery. And I looked over and a friend at the bar was like, you know how to put on a party, don't you? And I was like, yeah,
1: I do what I can.
0: <laughs> so I sometimes thought about bringing that s element into the drag. And sometimes I thought, let's keep those two identities separate because uh, with my twitter my facebook all that i've got my missed rs profile and i've got my whole star one and um, the whole star one is i'm more active on that one because that's kind of my main job and the mm. dominator has always been my side hustle um because i can't not do it i i did stop for a while when i dislocated my knee at glastonbury on the stage i was in a wheelchair and then crutches for 18 months so you know kind of oh, stopped wow. i could still dj i just sit there and put me on a chair and i just dj that was fine on a little stall. Um, but the, the dominatrix stuff kind of stopped because, you know, being a dominatrix in flat shoes isn't much of a look. Mm. Um, so I kind of gave it up, but it called me back. It was very much like The Godfather. Just when you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to uh, ask
1: this. So how much, like how much of the dominatrix, uh, I'm going to say character, So, please, but please correct me if mm-hmm. you disagree, um, informs Star and vice versa? Ooh, I mean, Miss RS the Dominatrix came first
0: so I always think she she <laughs> she is the boss um, actually no me as Julie I'm the boss um, they're both very um, assertive creatures they're both very bold very confident um, there are times where um, perhaps the Dominatrix has come out on stage as whole star and I've got to check myself and remember that I'm here to entertain people and not bring people down and not be that bitch because I'm not getting paid for that right now. I get paid a lot more for doing that than doing the drag, but that's another story. Um, So they're not, yeah, as characters, it's almost like I I kind of prefer having a clear definition, a boundary between the two of them and keep them kind of separate. They're all informed by each other. You know, I call myself a self-aware schizophrenic because I've got all these different characters, but I'm all aware of who they are and their place and time and when they're necessary.
1: But do they share wardrobe? No. Oh,
0: okay. No. But
1: that's a good way to save money.
0: It would be. (laughs) um but i hate this is the thing i hate pvc i hate <laughs> i hate latex. i'm fat <laughs> you know <laughs> aesthetically it doesn't look great and i hate all that shit even when i do sessions i draw a nice little black dress and i'll wear stockings and all that but i won't wear any of that shit because it's, it's so restrictive when you're trying to beat someone up or bum them into next week when you're wearing pvc it's all crinking and it's like oh it's getting in the bloody way so in my wardrobe I've got a whole section. In fact, yeah, I've got a wardrobe that's one side's all whole star. The other side's all Julie. And then all my Missed RS stuff is dotted else around the place in, like, bags and stuff, you know, um, what they call suit bags and stuff like that they're all kind of separate and there are occasions where whole has worn pvc or wore you know high high boots but generally i'm like oh it's so uncomfortable i can't be bothered <laughs> oh, i've been doing this for too long i'm too old i don't care anymore
1: <laughs> and so and so there's never been a highly comical situation where you've gone somewhere with like a bag of clothes that you thought were for for one thing and were actually for another and then had to wing it Unfortunately, not. I don't have the answer that you wanted. <laughs> that would be a really great anecdote. Can you can you get on that, please?
0: <laughs> I'm quite boring. I'm quite organized. I just, learned, I just learned from a long time ago that you go into dressing rooms full of drag queens and it's chaos. It's like, uh, you know, a bring and buy sale where there's just stuff everywhere. Where's this? Where's that? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy lots of little bags. So when I go to a wig, I pull out this bag, that's got a wig in it. And is or it, bag, is it vacuum it. sealed? Not vacuum sealed. Oh, okay. They're actually little IKEA little things. But it, it <laughs> kind of I know what to do. I'm like, there's my accessories. There's this. There's that. And I see everyone else around me chaos. I'm like, no, I'm gonna be a little bit pious here and go, no, I'm nice and tidy. And at the end <laughs> of the show, I can pack up my stuff. I don't know where everything is. Bye. <laughs> and gone. It's just easier. It makes life so much easier.
1: Oh, but there's something about that ceremony of chaos that helps, doesn't it? I love to see it
0: I love to see it because it's always different and I'm surprised no one's actually done a, a photo series of that of the chaos I mean <laughs> just, yeah I mean when I used to do um NYC down at Glastonbury when we got the tranny tank there again the word tranny we we'll need to talk about that in a minute because the usage of that these days um it was just absolute chaos and I would get my little station and I would like box myself in. I'm like, here's my makeup. Here's my underneath the desk. I'd have all my stuff. And around me was just, and when you've been in the field for five days with a bunch of drag queens who haven't really washed and just smell of methadrone and ass and you're like, oh, oh this is uh, no, but go back to the word tranny. So tranny, yes. shack. tranny shack was originally in San Francisco by head and then the guy who ran train shack uh, uk walt um and dusty they used the name and they actually brought the train shack girls over and there was a big hoo-ha about the name but i think i don't know what happened in the end uh, at first it was like okay it's okay because he brought everyone over and paid for them all to come over and that was like a making amends but then it all went a bit tits up and there was miscommunication i don't know got kept out of that
1: um, oh i would say that's like about actual use of that name because use it was, of that yeah, name okay. yeah because it was established night in, yes, in yeah, yeah. san
0: francisco um so at the time everyone called each other tranny you know this mm. is when i'm in london and like 15 years ago it was a term of endearment it wasn't a disparaging thing it was like instead of saying hello dear it was like hello tranny and this was across all genders this was men women and trans people you know we all used it amongst ourselves as a term of endearment neg- never as a negative and, and i used to call myself a tranny with a fanny i was mm. a tranny with a funny for a long long time and i did an interview with the guardian and i defended my use of it because of the past you know positivity and blah 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 i got a lot of shit for that and rightly so cuz language changes and i realized okay let's move for the times let's just drop it it's not important to have that it was just a funny little strap line yeah yeah how tranny with a funny it just sounded camp and i i i, I and wasn't it that and it rhymes, and it's well. That's why I like tit in a wig, you know.
1: But that doesn't like, rhyme.
0: It doesn't rhyme, but it's similar <laughs> to some, you know, it's kind of,
1: kind
0: of tit in a wig, <laughs> whatever. Um, so yeah, back then it was very much in a positive term, and I like the fact that you know, like the word queer, we reclaimed that word. It was a negative for a very, very long time, and I understand there's a lot of gay men who hate that word still, mm. and rightfully so. Everyone's got their own reasons for for using words and terminology. So we, we, as an LGBTQI plus community, reclaimed queer as a positive. Um, it's not my place to say to trans people, we must reclaim tranny as a positive. It's not my place at all. Even though I do identify as non-binary, I'm not so heavily into it. I don't care about they pronouns. I just know that physically I am non-binary. And this is, oh God, this is a scand- bit of scandal. So I'll probably get in trouble for this as well um i accepted quite a while ago that i wasn't going to transition because for years i thought about it and for years as a woman in the army as a woman in drag you're very much you know on a lower pegging level as a woman and seeing men being respected and treated in a different way makes you think hang on i want that and i deserve that but that's nothing to do with it i just knew from a young age that i didn't fit this body that i'm in and i thought about it a lot and i thought about it and i was like hang on I have to accept the baggage that I've been given. I'm too much of a pussy, pardon the pun, to go through that. Anyone who transitions has my utmost respect and admiration and love and, wow, amazing. I haven't transitioned for various reasons. One, unless I can have a penis that works like a cis man, no, no. Again, it's like, I want to piss standing up. I want to fuck someone in the bum with a a willy. When I get an arousing thought, I want to get a hard-on. That's not yet possible. Um, I want to piss standing up. I want to be a man. I want to walk around. But also, as a woman who's been treated shit from various aspects of my life, um, I'm generalising here, but a lot of men are crap. They're not very good people. Do I want to be another crap person? Do I want to be another shit bloke? Uh, it, sometimes it's probably easy to remain a shit woman who talks too much shit. And and you you can still get away. It's almost like you, should, oh, you can get away with things. But it shouldn't matter either way. Anyone who does it, good for them. Absolutely, 100% gets my love and attention and, and admiration. I've just realized, for me, I'm going to accept what I've got, which isn't a lot and just go i can live my gender expression through drag that's how i can express my gender i can go out sometimes like i went out earlier and a baseball cap on no makeup on just you know going along and people call me he all the time or misgender misgender me i don't care
1: mm.
0: so i can do that i can go between those lines and that's but, actually- So hold on
1: were you saying that if you if you transitioned you would become an annoying man
0: Absolutely,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and is that is that be, because 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 of the man or because or would you just be bringing your. <laughs> Your terribleness <I'm>, with you.
0: <laughs> I'm riddled with I'm riddled with testosterone anyway. And I know if I had more testosterone, I'd be a bigger asshole than I am now. I just know that for a fact. I mean, I've had to go on various medications to reduce my testosterone, which makes me more emotional. And I cry more and I bleh, put on more weight. And bleh, bleh, bleh. So my my whole chemistry inside of me is very up and down as it is. I just know if I took testosterone that I'd be more aggressive, I'd be more argumentative, I'd be just prick.
1: <laughs> well, you more argumentative? How is Ooh, that possible?
0: Man, I know. I think I probably would be. I'd be more angry because I have been angry and I am angry still, but I think I'd be angrier. I would have an excuse then. Again, almost have an excuse to behave like an absolute prick. Um. And I'm learning as I get older, there's no excuse to be an absolute prick. Only when it's necessary, and actually step back and go, okay, um, that's not something I need to be involved in. I used to, you know, very much get involved with arguments online about various things. And because I've been really naughty at one time, and I said something that was really bad, and I got in a lot of trouble for it, and I got death threats, and I got a really horrible backlash online, and I was bullied a lot, and what I said was was shit it was shit i owned up to that i learned from that but the crap that i got because of it made me realize hang on it's not worth it to get so involved which is which is a shame because there's a lot of people with really good opinions out there who feel the same they feel like they can't say things openly anymore they can't talk about various things because things get taken out of context and you know you'll say something to somebody or write something online and they'll take one part of that rather than the whole message. Mm. They'll just reduce it down to, oh, I'm offended. Rah! And then just go for you. And I get now, you know, you've got a lot of people who are very liberal, pious kind of, you know, liberals who are very oh, no, you can't say this, you can't say that. I'm very fucking liberal. I'm very trans-positive. I'm very sex-positive. Um, you know, I try to be a decent human being, but to get really aggy and and just I see the way that people do it online now and people are cancelled. I was cancelled for a while. There are people who blocked me. Boom, like that. And I was like, do you actually know me at all or actually understand where I was coming from? Um. So, I th- again, that's just age and learning that... there's so much much i would like to say but i just i try not to i
1: try well it's tough isn't it it's like there is no respectful disagreement anymore um there's no room for that because Mm -hmm. it's just like you're either here or you're here and that's it there's no nothing in between and i find that yeah, that that's dangerous. I mean, mm-hmm. I I do also agree. I d I don't know the, the situation that you're talking about, so I'm not alluding to that at all. But um the I do agree that although there is freedom of speech, there mm-hmm. is not freedom from consequence. So absolutely. So yeah. people should be um challenged. Mm-hmm. But people should be challenged respectfully, I suppose. Yeah. I think that, that's what you
0: just said there, there's no room now for discussion or this interim, you know, because everything is, 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 again, it's binary. And I think when I think about everything in my life, my gender, my sexuality, everything, I like these grey areas, you know, coming back to the whole grey area of gender, and I think even with, with various things, I think okay, let's take that side and let's take this side, and then make a decision rather than just, oh my god, this person said this thing, and I agree with them, and they're, uh, or I disagree with them, and I'm gonna take it upon myself to bully them and dox them and whatever. It's just very, very, very toxic and negative. And when I hear now of um, universities, you know, banning certain people from from conversations, it's like hang about. Whole point of a debate is to take various opinions, and you might not agree with that person. Let them speak and let them have their say and then they disagree with them. And when I hear people go, no, we can't have this person because they're a turf," or whatever. I hate TERFs myself, obviously. But I sometimes think we have to let them speak a little bit. We have to let those other sides come in just to then have your, to create an own opinion. We're all seeing from the same hymn sheet. You create these massive divides we've got now, the left and the right, this and that, the black and white. It's just these horrible negative divides. You know, sometimes I think, am I wrong? Am I on the wrong side of history? Am I on the wrong side of opinion? And I'll try and look at the rights and look at their rhetoric. I look at them and I come back and go, no, I am right. They are complete idiots. Fine, <laughs> but it's important. I think to look at that other side sometimes. If we just all read the Guardian non-stop and just take that as that's the way the world is, cool. You've then got to look at the Times. You've got to look at the Daily Mail. Look at those idiots over there and go, well, what are they writing about? Now I have an informed opinion. Now I have something to actually take things from, from both of these sides.
1: Yeah, but I guess it's like, you know, like, I, yeah, I've, I have just said I believe in freedom of speech. But when mm-hmm. that freedom of speech is then seeking to infringe on other people's right, mm-hmm. right to exist, then there does need to be kind of some moderation. There does need to be some stopping of, of the, those voices being amplified.
0: I think if they... I know what you mean, but I think if they're if those people are trying to instigate violence or instigate negativity, hostility, fine. You know, when 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 Katie Hopkins was banned from Twitter, I was absolutely elated. I was like, brilliant. She she doesn't deserve to have that platform to talk utter bullshit about people. So I completely agree on that respect because she was inciting such negativity. That there wasn't any argument, there wasn't any debate in what she was saying. It was just very much, I'm coming in with this blot. So, people like that cancel them, absolutely. Get them out. We don't need that kind of negativity or that kind of destructive language being out there. But I do think there are people who are kind of slightly more in the middle that kind of do get ignored. Even in liberal circles, it's almost like you have to choose everything on this side or that side. Are you this side or that side? If you're not, you're out, you're rejected um which is yeah how 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 do we evolve as a species if we're just going to do that if we're just going to you know tribalize ourselves into these groups of you know this or that
1: mm. yeah and and you're not going to win i mean this kind of goes against my nature because i'm just always like no you're wrong <laughs> um but like you're not going to win people over with your argument if um if you if you act in that way are you that's if you fight fire with
0: fire you fight fire with fire you get more fire is the way i see it. It's, and I, again that's through learning an age that i've got to realize that yeah if you go in someone's attacking you attacking them back then no one's listening everyone's just going rah, rah it's just loads of noise mm, mm-hmm. maybe both sides need to listen i think the right and then say more. no
1: you're wrong no you're wrong yeah yeah <laughs> but so we didn't we didn't kind of finish this conversation about the use of the word tranny one thing i wanted um to get your opinion on is there's there's some debate in the um like who has who has the the right to um, Mm. not not own that word but you know who has the 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 right because that word has been used in a derogatory sense against them to Mm -hmm. to have an opinion on that word and and on one side there are people who are transgender and then on the other side there are cis men predominantly Mm -hmm. who do drag Mm -hmm. and and do you have like a view on who has the right Um, to that word?
0: I think I I mean again through learning and age and uh, letting things go I think the only people that really have the right to use it I suppose are trans people themselves you know, I can say, yes, I am trans. I haven't physically changed anything. I'm non-binary, whatever. But I'm seen as a cis woman. Do I have right to use it? Probably not, no. Even though I regard myself as, you know, on a trans spectrum. Um, should it matter how much surgery you've had or hormones you've had to change that again no uh, it's such a difficult word i think time time has to pass i think there has to be enough time to pass before it to get used in a positive way because uh, positive way again purely because you think about how the, the the way queer was used mm. for quite a long time as a negative it wasn't really till queer theory started to come in and then it became more of a more of a positive term but there was a time that passed i think mm. And I think with the word tranny, at the moment we're going through this, you know, all the children are woke now and that's brilliant and they're all understanding of queer theory and politics and it's, it's great. I love the fact that there are trans people all over the media right now. There are trans people on TV, acting, getting work, being represented in a positive way. That's amazing. But the rest of the world is yet to catch up, mm. uh, as it were. You know, it's like, oh, gay people are fine now. You've got gay marriage. No, there's still a lot of work to be done. Oh, gay, you know, trans people on TV now. No, there's still a shit lot of work to be done for them. So I think the more ha- time has to pass. And who has ownership of that word? Ugh. Ugh. It's not, I don't think it's for me to say, regardless mm. of how I see my gender identity.
1: Mm. It's a tricky yeah. one. Tricky. Like, I was just, language is just so fascinating, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. again, it's this thing of... Um, uh people not necessarily taking it your use of it in context and that that makes it tough um because there's there's never any there's (laughs) this is going to sound so dumb there's never any kind of like uh, updated published list of like these words you can't use you're just expected (laughs) to just know like oh i'm not allowed to do that anymore um yeah and i find that that quite difficult
0: and it changes on a like, weekly basis, I think. You find, like, on Twitter, you'll see someone say something and then someone goes, oh, can't use that word anymore. It's like, oh, I, I wasn't aware of the update. Yeah, <laughs> it would yeah. be helpful. Like if, you need you push
1: know. notifications or something. Like...
0: <laughs> yeah. This is now, outboard. Oh, this is now, no longer news. you You can call
1: yourself a faggot again. It's okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even recently with that, I saw someone, you know, um, Jackie Beat, um, did a a, a a live thing on Instagram, and when she did um, Dirty Sanchez with um, what's his name Mario um, Duda, oh, I can't remember his name, terrible. Um, and they had a song that had the word faggot in it, and they 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 couldn't they felt like they couldn't even say the word while they were discussing amongst friends who known each other for years and worked for years together, and because they knew there were younger people listening who would be offended by that word. It was a song that they wrote a long time ago. It's almost like, oh, it's so frustrating. It's like you can't use anything in certain situations. You're constantly trying to police your own language. Mm. There, are, Even now, there are times I just go on stage and be like, blah, 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 And now I'm holding back so much because I don't really want to offend anybody. People might think that I do. I actually don't. That's not on my agenda at all. I want to entertain people. That's my job. Um, but I find myself, it's, and it's almost like it's restricting comedy as well there are some people who just try to be shock comedians for shock value those people aren't very funny because i think if you have to go to the lowest dominant if you have to punch down and go to that lowest space denominator you yourself are not very clever and not very funny you're just doing it for shock value
1: but also like what is there like yeah what there's no new material there is there like yeah. it's just let's be mean to a group of people. Let's just be vile. And
0: that ain't funny, but there are people who are smart and who are intelligent, who are genuinely funny, who are having to police their language because of potential backlash and potential, Oh, you can't say that. It's so, it's a contentious time. And it's very, this is this tug between the old school and the new school and the young people think they know everything. And the old people are going, yes, but we've lived through this and you're not listening. And, but we haven't caught up to date with this technology yet. So give us a moment because we've been living our lives and this is whole, it's a, such a shame that everyone's fighting amongst us within our own queer communities. There's enough shit going on in the world right now, but we're infighting over words and the intention, like my intention is always never negative. It's even when someone's paid to be beaten the shit out of, I'll give them a hug at the end because they they wanted that time They've wanted that space. We've done that and we've come out of it. I don't want to hurt anybody, but that's often not the case. That's not how it's received. And again, it's that whole kind of policing yourself and trying not to offend. I don't want to offend, but if you are,
1: yeah, where,
0: where's the line? Where's the line?
1: Well, and there's this, you know, there's this whole other layer within it of uh, us as a society and, and the way that we've evolved, like, We have to be right all the time we Mm -hmm. we we don't like being challenged that's not Mm -hmm. kind of that is not part of our culture Mm -hmm. in saying you know so there's no way that i can easily say to someone by the way would you mind not using that word because Mm -hmm. that offends me Mm -hmm. and so what we've learned is that the only way that people will respond to you the only way that um you're going to get the outcome that you want is to clamp down on things is to be Mm -hmm. aggressive straight away Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of how we're in this mm-hmm. space in this situation yeah. where it is just like from zero to a hundred rather mm-hmm. than opening a dialogue.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I'm guilty of that myself. There are times where I've been attacked and I'll attack back. I'm like oh, my fangs are sharper than yours, let's have it. And then I'm thinking again age, what's the point? What's the yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. Just like not have that conversation. I'd I'd rather have that conversation in a civil way. And there are people that have approached me and said, let's go for a coffee and let's have a chat. It's like, I know you've all, you're coming galvanized and you're coming with your weapons to attack me. And it's like, let's just not, can we not just agree to disagree? Because my ne- my intentions are not negative. I don't hate you. I don't hate anybody, except for Donald Trump. He's going soon. Hooray. Um, <laughs> I've got a long list, but he's at the top of it. Um, <laughs> right in living memory. Um, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It's a shame that, dialogue doesn't exist everyone wants to be right everyone wants to be seen to be right the first time and there's no room for error or mistakes or later apologies it's like if you say something you get it wrong you apologize later you're seen as oh well well, you didn't know what you're talking about in the first place. And in reality, who does? I've got an opinion on everything. I know fuck all. <laughs> but I've still got an opinion on it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. It's just so it's just so hard to say you're wrong. Mm. Oh, it's just so tough.
0: <sighs> I found I found actually apologizing Make doesn't make you a better person at all, but you do get that sense of okay, there's some sort of closure there. But however, but that person then wants to take it is then on them. I'm just wanting to to say to you, I am sorry. What I said was wrong. Now it's up to you to I don't know. It's oh uh, Who who can say? It's a mess. It's a it,
1: mess. So back to too too much because mm-hmm. we haven't actually talked about it really at all. So sorry, no, sorry listeners. <laughs> Um, uh, do you remember hearing about it closing?
0: Um, yes. God, I actually, no, actually, no, I don't because I was working a lot more in the East London scene, um, at the time, Bistro Tech and Johnny Woo and that lot. Um, and then it closed and then it went to, well, Tranny Shack, um, went around the corner to Madam Jojo's, which another great venue that's now since gone. And that was a great venue because it had different things every day of the week. There were so many, there was like, you know, you had white heat on the Tuesday. You had Tranny Shack. You had um, Northern Soul nights. You had Burlesque nights. You had, you know, such a broad range of programming that went on Madam Jojo's. And at Too Too Much. But then Too Too Much became uh, The Box, which, you know, it's one of those things. Very I find things like The Box, it's almost like, hey, rich people, come and see The Freaks. You know, it was that very much, again, what I left behind in Vienna, that whole champagne lifestyle of look at me, aren't I fabulous? I can afford this fancy table and this bottle of Grey Goose rather than I'm going to go out and enjoy myself and be entertained. And for those people who work there, great, good for them. They're making good money. Um, there are some interesting performance artists who, who do stuff there because what they do is considered shocking. And therefore they're like, we're trying to do the most commercially viable shocking thing we can give to people and i was asked to audition at not the box but another one up the road and I, th- I knew other friends that were doing it and they were getting paid shit money to basically be poured at by city twats and rich tourists who just thought they were there for their, their entertainment so they can grab them and touch them and i'm like no do not touch the freaks you can't afford me so back the fuck off um I didn't want to play into that. I just don't want to be part of that. You know, you can't choose your audiences and you can't ever think, well, I want to perform to, obviously the queer people are my people. I want to perform to queer people, but I don't mind performing to anyone who's receptive to it, who wants to have a good time, who wants to just enjoy themselves. When people come with, unfortunately with money, there comes a lot of arrogance and a lot of, you know, nonsense and, too too much became that when it became the box it became you know, too too much was wasn't cheap it wasn't a cheap venue but it was beautiful and it was it was well lit and it was a good stage as you said it was very deep
1: um, mm, depth
0: and it was yeah it's just another one of those the whole gentrification of soho the whole thing of I called Soho now a giant coffee shop because everything has been sucked out of it. Every, all the sex has gone. The, you know there's a few gay places that still survive. I perform in DJ in a few of them um, But I understand that London's always been a state of flux. you know venues come and go all the time and there are certain venues that, as long as I've been here for 15 years that we've lost um, because of you know greedy breweries or you know commercial groups and whatnot and money generally mm. um but people got to remember this is this is something i wanted to bring up is that queer spaces you they're generally not funded by anything but beer and it's great it would be great to have a community center where for queer people they can go and perform and do whatever they want and converse and not worry about the overheads but money is made people are paid through booze when people come to a venue and they just sit there and share half a lager between six of them and then demand that they, it, no one on stage uses these certain words or behaves in a certain way, you no, you, unfortunately, these people over here might get a bit more priority because they've got that. It's, it shouldn't be that way. Art shouldn't be that way. But unfortunately, that's the way it is. When I look at all the queer venues that have come and gone, it's all to do with money and people spending money. They're not community centres. We aren't funded by anything else. You know, when I look at, you know, the the, the Glory are working so fucking hard to keep their space going. Uh, The RVT, these independent spaces who are still like, you know, during this whole bloody lockdown madness, it's like they have integrity. They have integrity in the heart of of, of what they're doing as venues. And now a lot of the gay venues are own bride chains and breweries. Mm. Well, they clearly don't care. This is why I would like to see more people actually support the independent venues who actually have a soul and integrity. That's why I will never go to fucking Wetherspoons after the way that, you know, he treated his staff, And, you know, being part of the black cap as well, seeing all that crumble around through awful. uh, That's a whole nother story again with her upstairs you know mm. people started using it as a community center and if someone said something that was a bit rude or a bit crude or a bit lewd on stage you'd have certain people going well this is disgusting you can't say that it's like but you're not contributing to the business this is a business it would be lovely if we did not have to worry about overheads and bills and rates and all those things and there are there's another venue recently that went um way before lockdown and the outrage was was incredible. Everyone was, oh my god, you can't do this. The queer people, they hate queer people. It's like, no, you're all going and taking a shitload of drugs, and you're not buying alcohol. Unfortunately, that's just the economics of it. You have to understand that. That if people aren't buying drinks, and you're all getting for free, and all you're doing is taking a shitload of MDMA, great, good for you, I love that myself. But is yeah. we live in London, and London is an expensive city as it is, and so you know, when too too much I wasn't really less so around. when it went to Madam Jojo's, um, Tranny Shack was there for a while. I was part of that. I used to, that's the thing I slag off drag race, but I actually hosted it for three years. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And
1: it went to the glory. Yeah.
0: Yes,
1: yeah, Cause, um,
0: I know one of the producers and we were in Thailand being fancy having cocktails on the beach. And it wasn't legally being shown in this country at the time. It was on, I think, Series 1 and 2 on Channel 4 late at night. Then it stopped any kind of broadcasting. And he just said, you know, do you want to fancy hosting it? I can send you over the tapes. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I did it at, um, what did we do we do? We did Dolson Superstore first. Then we went to Madam Jojo's and then The Glory. And that season, I just went, ugh. For me, seasons four, five, and six of Drag Race are great well produced good well, cast six. after that it became bleh
1: i made out with tom and the season final uh when did violet Chachki win season eight that
0: was, was she eight or so i can't remember seven it wasn't wasn't Oh, no, she was seven because that was the year it was all the pretty girls so it was um oh. miss fame yeah, yeah. and pearl it was all about the aesthetics wait so perfect. it
1: goes so it goes sharon Jinx. Bianca. Bianca. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So season seven.
0: Yeah. by Because I remember hosting it at the Glory. And sometimes I'd be on the mic, I'd chip in something. I'm like, oh yeah, great dress, whatever. And I was just like, ah, I don't care about these people. I just don't. I want to care about them. I don't care about them. Drag is dead. <laughs>
1: <Aww>. <laughs> um. One of the things I wanted to ask. So if you could go back in time. Mm. And and see little little whole star <laughs> showing up to Too Too Much doing her first gig. What advice would you give her?
0: Um I'd say Don't use this, this to...
1: word, don't use this word, don't use this word, don't use this <laughs> word.
0: <laughs> Just basically become a mute. <laughs> 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 Just lip sync for the rest of your career. Um I'd say um, don't take it too seriously because I think I did. I had to take it really seriously initially because of, you know, being a woman in this scene and trying to scrabble and get people's attention. I did take it seriously and I was very angry. Um, So I'd say that. I'd say just let it happen. Again, that's only come come because of age. Um, I'd say what I keep repeating now because I didn't realise that at the time. Take it to the people. That's what your job is, is to take it to the people. Give people a good fucking time and stop eating so much cake. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I think – there were so many things that i you know in hindsight you think oh i should have done this or i could have said that or not done this and i think actually i'm god i'm so lucky to still be clacking around even amongst this whole madness we're going through now it's like i've been around for 17 bloody years and pretty much worked consistently all that time and i'm not huge i'm not a huge star not everyone knows who i am i don't really care i'm just grateful i'm lucky that you know mainly cuz I'm stubborn <laughs> and I'm still wanting to, you know, crack on and do things. But it is wonderful that I, you know and the privilege that I have of living in this country, the problems that we do have, but I'm not somewhere else in the world where as a woman I would be persecuted for having an opinion, for being a gender nonconformist lunatic in a frock. You know, that's a wonderful thing. So, yeah, it's been great. It's been a great. I always think if I die tomorrow, I've had a good time. Shit, you know, when I get up to wherever we go, what did you do with your life? Well, do you want to take a little list? Because it's been quite a few things. Uh, But that's for the biography when I retire.
1: (laughs) Is that list in a Ziploc bag from Ikea?
0: Absolutely. (laughs)
1: Did you ever go to Too Too Much? Well, if you did, tell me all about it. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook with the username kandersonmusic and tell me about what you got up to. Photos are optional, but very much encouraged. You can also find out more about Holestar by following her on Instagram at TheHolestar or on Twitter at Holestar. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast, but a concept record as well. I've been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there, and will be releasing songs over the coming year. You can hear the first single, which is called Well Groomed Boys, and is also playing underneath my talking right now on all good streaming platforms. If you liked this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on Apple Podcasts, or just told people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen too. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces.